welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is robert from lone star capital welcome rob hey thanks for having me on the show Yeah, thanks for being on the show. A little bit about Rob. Robert oversees acquisitions and capital markets for the firm and has acquired over 100 million of multifamily real estate. He has evaluated thousands of opportunities using proprietary underwriting models and published the number one book on multifamily underwriting, The Definitive Guide to Underwriting Multifamily Acquisitions. He has written over 50 articles about underwriting, deal structures and capital markets and hosts the Capital Spotlight podcast. which is focused on interviewing institutional investors robert also helps run greenhawks capital is family's real estate investment and advisory firm with that rob would you like to add anything to your background no that's a good summary and you know happy to, to go into more detail as needed cool so how did you get into real estate and multifamily world rob I got involved through the business through a few different ways. I actually grew up in a real estate household. Both my parents ran a real estate brokerage firm in Silicon Valley, so I had a lot of exposure to real estate growing up without even really knowing it. So I was uh, really fortunate at a young age to be, you know, kind of learning through osmosis, but wasn't directly involved in the business. You know, later while in college and and of course after school, I got more directly involved in the business. And while my family had never been directly involved in multifamily, everything was on on the single family side. I was on my own researching and had discovered multifamily and felt compelled and felt that that was, you know, a much better place to be in terms of scale, cash flow and things like that that really fit our goals better. So I I pushed my family to look into it and we started working on it together and so I I kind of uh, helped lead the way to on the multifamily side and through those efforts I was able to actually branch out on my own as well and start Lone Star Capital with my business partner. Awesome. So, and we'll directly go into like preferred equity stuff. So, would you share more about your company's preferred equity platform and how that works? Yeah, I would love to. So the preferred equity side of our business is definitely a really exciting new strategy for us. So for those who aren't familiar, preferred equity is a type of partnership structure where a preferred equity partner will invest into a deal and they will kind of be a mixture of debt and equity. So the way preferred equity works is it's an, it is an equity investment made into the the partnership. However, it its economics are more reflective of debt-like terms. For example, preferred equity usually earns a fixed rate of return somewhere in the the mid teens and it is paid first that is after the senior loan is paid so what happens is once the preferred equity is paid on a monthly basis all the remaining cash flow is paid out to the what is called common equity similarly upon a sale once the preferred equity has earned its stated return which is that fixed rate of return that the preferred equity partner is seeking all the remaining profits go to the common equity investors and that's usually the sponsor and his or her investors and so what's great about this structure is if a sponsor has high conviction about a deal and thinks that they're going to knock a deal out of the park for example well they can bring in a preferred equity partner that's just going to earn their fixed return and then they can keep all the upside to themselves when they hit that home run so that's one of the great reasons one of the great benefits and why preferred equity can be so you know optimal in your deal structure okay good so what benefits like sponsor and your group and investors would get by going with this preferred equity way 
Yeah, so we're definitely looking for win-win scenarios in our preferred equity strategy. So, and just to take a step back, why, why are we doing preferred equity and how does it help us? So, you know, as we all know, finding a good deal is very challenging in this market and it has been for a while. And so while we like to buy and operate our own deals, we don't want to miss out on good opportunities that are being taken down by other sponsors. So, but, in, but then at the same time, it's difficult for us to raise capital as a fiduciary and not have day-to-day -day control and management of an asset. So the solution there for us is if we can provide preferred equity to these good deals that other sponsors have, we still have certain control rights as the preferred equity. We get paid first as far as the equity is concerned. And so those couple key deal terms are what get us comfortable with investing Investing with other sponsors. So that's how we're that's how we're approaching it. And that's that's the win-win for us is we're happy to accept a fixed rate of return, which we feel is fair, in exchange for partnering with other sponsors and participating in more deals. And then on the flip side for the sponsor, they can come to us and get a big chunk of their equity all from one place. So rather than passing the hat around and trying to syndicate a few million dollars on their equity raise, you know, they could come to us and get potentially half of their equity spoken for just through one group, which would be, you know, Lone Star's preferred equity. So, so that can be a big win for a sponsor if they don't, you know, if they have a gap in their equity or they just want to raise the equity quicker through a bigger chunk. And then, like I mentioned before, the other big benefit is to put it into numbers. If you have, let's say a deal with projected returns of 17% and our preferred equity costs, you know, if we're charging the deal 14%, that's a 3% spread there that is going to leverage the returns up to, you know, from a 17 up to a 20 or a 22. So you can see how through the proper use of preferred equity leverage, you can actually get higher returns, which is obviously what we're all looking for. Cool. And how about from investor point of view? That's a great question. So from the investor point of view, it's really focusing on that that last element that I just mentioned. So and what's interesting about that is, as you might know, the investor in a lot of these deals is not always a real estate professional. And, you know, they're a diversified investor that likely has stock holdings, maybe some bonds as well. And so they view private real estate ownership as kind of their higher return, higher risk, more illiquid portion of their portfolio. And that's where they're seeking, you know, 15, 18, 20% returns. And so from an investor point of view, as returns have become compressed due to competition in the multifamily space, one way to combat that is through, you know, preferred equity as an example, which is just, you know, essentially financial leverage. And so they can take more risk for more for higher returns. And, you know, a deal that would, like I said, normally would be, let's say a 50 through the use of preferred equity could be an 18 or even a 20. And so that benefits investors that, you know, they don't mind the extra risk. They don't mind that the preferred equity gets paid first because this is their portion of their portfolio that they're looking for higher returns for that higher risk. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So any risks for sponsor and your group and as well as investors with going with this option or this strategy? Got it. So from our point of view, the risks are certainly capital loss and and headaches and so i'll explain what those are so so when you're investing preferred equity you are really looking at it economically from a lender point of view because your upside is capped at whatever your stated return is right and that stated return might be like i mentioned before 14 percent, and it's a combination of cash flow and accrual rate which is something you know the it, it's postponed till the payoff till the refi or the sale that you're postponing that that accrued portion of the return so you might have 8%, which is paid out of cash flow, and then another 6% that's just accruing in the background until it's time to be paid off. 
for that 14% return. So as I said, that's your that, that's your upside. The maximum return that you can get is that 14%, but your maximum downside is a 100% loss. So that risk re reward profile is very similar to a lender, except a lender's is even worse, right? That, you know, their max that they could earn is, you know, three to 5%, depending on the debt product. And again, their maximum loss is 100%. I mean, obviously that's unrealistic, but that is what it is. So for us, we need to be very aware of that downside protection. And we need to make sure that our risk reward is, is looking very favorable. So that's our main main risk. And we, we're underwriting deals to make sure that our downside is protected. The other point in terms of headaches is really about partnership. So as we're doing preferred equity, we're making bets not only on the properties and the business plans, but also on the sponsors. You know, we are making an equity investment at the end of the day. And if something is to go awry, we need to be able to have confidence in the sponsor to work through the situation, as well as have the ability to work with them through the problem. And, you know, that requires having a good relationship and, and you know, working with people who are easy to work with. So it doesn't, you know, if a deal goes sideways and we have to spend a lot of effort to try to fix the deal and make it work out, we don't make any more money, right? So it's just a lot more effort for just the same amount of return or even less return if the deal is going poorly. So so that's the two risks for us on preferred equity. For sponsors, the big risk is kind of the, the, the one that I mentioned before, which goes hand in hand with, you know, higher risk, higher reward, which is the fact that you are subordinating your equity and your returns to the preferred equity. So what I mean by that is once they're, so once the cash flow, what, you know, so the NOI is first used to pay debt service. And then from there you have free cash flow available for distribution, the preferred equity is going to take the, the first, you know, bit of cash flow until they've satisfied their 8% return requirement, for example. And then the remaining cash flow is available for the investor or the sponsor. But if there isn't anything, then the sponsor may be left with no cash flow. And so they have to be aware of that subordination and understand how that works. And then that's very similar to the investor risk, like I mentioned before. And, and some investors are okay with this because again, they're looking to take that risk. They want to see the higher returns. They want that potential to, you know, hit a 20% return because that's very attractive for them. If they want to play it safe, you know, maybe they have other parts of their portfolio for that. You know, and the other comment I wanted to make was the difference between preferred equity that we're talking about today and preferred return, right? A lot of people, a lot more people may be familiar with preferred return, which is a common partnership structure that's between the sponsor and the investors where the sponsor doesn't get paid until the investor's preferred return is met. However, this is different than preferred equity as preferred equity is a subordinate financing structure, but it can work similar to preferred return. But in, in the preferred return scenario, there is no subordination of one equity over another, what is being subordinated is the sponsors promote or the performance compensation. So I know that can be a bit confusing, but I just wanted to, you know, mention that now. Yeah, yes. And thanks for sharing that difference between preferred return versus preferred equity. And like, and what is your criteria for selecting and targeting these kind of strategies? Yeah. So what we're targeting is we, you know, we love to stay in markets that we have familiarity with and experience actually owning and managing ourselves. And which is for us, that's Texas. That's where we own most of our properties. However, since we aren't the day-to-day -day manager in the preferred equity scenario, we are comfortable going to other markets, whether that be out West to, you know, Arizona or some Midwest markets like Kansas city, or also out to the Southeast with Georgia and Florida. So it allows us to get some geographic diversification, which we like. 
So we're comfortable with that. What we're targeting is a one to tip, you know, the sweet spot for us is a one to $3 million check on the preferred equity. And to, so to put that into context, preferred equity is typically around 10 to 15% of the total capital stack. So if you use 10% as an example, and you say, you know, a $3 million preferred equity piece, that would be, that would mean that the largest deal that we could participate in is a $30 million deal, which actually gives us quite a bit of flexibility, right? And a $1 million deal uh, or a $1 million preferred equity deal rather would mean $10 million deal. So I would say somewhere between seven and, you know, $26 million deals is, is really our sweet spot where we can come and slide in that piece of preferred equity. And we're avoiding the competition of the larger checks because with a $5 million preferred equity check or a $10 million preferred equity check, number one, that's a huge deal. So there's a lot of competition there and there's, you know, the, the pricing on the preferred equity gets much tighter and that's, you know, we don't want to compete in that space. So we like serving the small balance space where there's less competition, but there's still a, a tremendous need for preferred equity in that space. Just that's the feedback we've seen in the market where sponsors that are acquiring, you know, 10, 15, $20 million deals, they have generally less access to capital. And so they're very interested in the preferred equity product where they can get, you know, like I said before, up to half of their equity taken care of just through the preferred equity. Good. Thanks for sharing. So, and what's your exit plan with this preferred equity strategy, Rob? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a huge focus for preferred equity because the way preferred equity works is it's essentially additional leverage on top of the senior loan. And so the big question is, how do you get paid off? How do you, is it, is it a sale that pays you off? Is it a refi? Is it a supplemental loan? Is it a, you know, an equity recapitalization? So that's something that we spend quite a bit of time focusing on in our underwriting. And we will size the deal accordingly to make sure that we feel safe in terms of our exit strategy. So how that works is, you know, let's say we're looking at a deal and we're contemplating the appropriate amount of preferred equity to put in the deal. Let's, let's say between one and 3 million. Well, we're going to reduce our preferred equity amount until we feel comfortable that we could be paid off via a refinance. And so what we're looking for is that the business plan is going to go in there, create value at the property level. And then that new value can be capitalized on via a supplemental loan or a refi. And this new loan balance is large enough to not only pay off the old loan, but also pay off us as the preferred equity. So that's the ideal scenario for us. And the ideal ideal hold period for us is, I would say, you know, somewhere around three years, you know, too short. And we did a lot of work to get into a deal and not be in it for very long, too long. There are, you know, no risks associated with being in a deal for a long time. And so really that sweet spot is three years where the business plan is executed and then the value is created. And then the value is capitalized either through a refi, a supplemental, a sale, and then we're out of the deal. And uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's how we focus on the exit strategy. Cool, cool. So your group already implemented this strategy you're planning to implement? Yes, we have closed multiple deals on this strategy and we're actively looking for more. We've been very pleased with the deal flow we have seen thus far. We've been able to get the word out and sponsors have been coming to us interested in exploring, you know, a part preferred equity partnership with us further. So we've been very appreciative and excited about those opportunities and uh, we're looking to continue to grow. Cool. And would you share any best and some challenging experiences with that so far? Yeah. So one interesting challenge I'll start with is, is the fact that 
uh, investors that are investing with us in the preferred equity are, are quite demanding in terms of the returns they're looking for. So even though that we're educating our investors that the preferred equity is taking less risk than a traditional equity deal, and in return should be willing to accept a lower return, that is a more difficult story to tell and thing to educate investors on that rather than telling them, hey, you know, you're taking some risk, which you're potentially going to receive a 20% return. It's harder to tell investors that, hey, you're going to receive a 12% return, but you're not taking very much risk. So that's been a challenge in terms of educating the, the merits of the risk adjusted return nature there, which has been interesting to explore. The the best experience I would say is is just the the new partnerships that we've been able to build and the the, the way we've been able to look at deals through a different lens has been great. And so we've, we've seen that our preferred equity strategy and the relationships that we're building there are helping us on the acquisition side. And similarly, the relationships we have on the acquisition side, whether that be investors, brokers, lenders, are helping us source deals on the preferred equity side. So that's one of the things we're excited about and why we felt it made sense to add this additional strategy into our business is because we felt it was complementary and synergistic to what we are already doing. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that challenging experience. Yeah, definitely. You need a lot of energy to convince, right? And what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now, Rob? So current focus of ours is, and this goes back to the challenge of raising capital, a current focus of ours is looking, we're talking to select groups about a strategic partnership on the preferred equity side so that we can grow faster and partner on deals to, you know, to get more done. So we're, it's an interesting world that we're, we're getting exposure into and the, uh, you know, more of like institutional partners that have experience and have a lot of uh, capital and are willing to back us so that we can, you know, instead of doing only a couple pref deals per year, we can, you know, grow much quicker and do 10 or even 20 pref deals in a year. So, so that's something that we're focused on at the moment. Cool. And any one advice that impacted you, Rob? Well, a big piece of advice that impacted me was just being pushed to to take action. And more specifically, I think, you know, this business and I think most businesses are a people business. And so being willing to put yourself out there and talk to people and learn new things, it's one of the one of the best ways to go. When you put yourself out there and you can do that in many ways that can be done via going to conferences, it can be through podcasts, through writing articles, through contributing on LinkedIn. You know, when you put yourself out there and you meet new people, not only are you growing your network, but you're learning a lot. And so when you're having conversations and you're willing to ask questions rather than just pretend that you know everything, you're going to grow very quickly in your knowledge and your understanding of everything and your relationships. So that's something that has greatly benefited me and a recommendation. So any of your personal habits that helping you to be successful? I'm very goal oriented. And I think, you know, the way I even define success is by reaching goal. You know, number one is setting the goal and then reaching it. And, you know, you have to, it's interesting because it's not enough to just reach your goals. You actually have to be smart enough to set the right goals. And so that is something that I, that I do a lot of thinking about. So I often, you know, I write my goals nearly daily and the goals change here and there and I add new ones, but I'm always thinking about not only how to achieve my goals, but what goals should I be setting? You know, what should I be working? on? What should I be striving for? And I think that constant thought process behind, you know, trying to get to where I want to go is, is very, is a big key to success. Awesome. Any one book that impacted your life and what way? Oh, there's a lot. I really love to read. So I'll just say the the last book that I finished was High Output Management by Andrew Grove. And it's just a, a terrific management book. You know, it gets down to the detail of manage how to manage meetings with your subordinates, 
and you know how to take notes, how to do promotions, how to hire somebody. You know, there's there's a lot of things. I'm I love processes and business and things like that. And so this book is one that I'll definitely be rereading soon. Cool. So how are you giving back to community, Rob? Well, I'm very involved in education. I, you know, spend a lot of time doing webinars and teaching my underwriting, which is a very popular topic for people. And, uh, you know, I'm always willing to jump on the phone with somebody and, and share my thoughts with them and, and give them advice. So that's that's one way that I like to to give back and, and see people grow. It's something that I've always been doing. You know, as I was growing up, I was a, a math tutor and a piano teacher and, uh, you know, a coach of, of sorts. So I was uh, always like to teach. I'm definitely a teacher at heart. And so so that that's what I do. Good. Yeah. So how can listeners can connect with you? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about myself and, and our business, you can head over to robbeardsley.me. And specifically from the topic of this podcast on robbeardsley.me, you can check out the, the Preferred Equity Manifesto, which is a free ebook download available on the website. All you have to do is drop your email and you'll get access to the Preferred Equity Manifesto ebook, which goes into much greater detail on our preferred equity strategy, how to invest in it, how to underwrite it, how it's structured and uh, and much more so something i'm very much excited to share with you all and uh you know feel free to reach out to me directly um my email is rob at lonestarcapgroup.com thank you rob i really enjoyed the conversation likewise thanks for having me on if you like the show please subscribe share rate and review and if you want to connect with me please send me a message info at ushacapital.com thank you for listening creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast i hope you learned something from the show see you in the next episode thank you any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only as always please consult with your own cpa legal and financial advisor before investing